Welcome to the Master Your Mix podcast, helping engineers, producers, and artists create professional recordings and mixes, even from home. I'm your host, Mike and Davina. Let's get started. Hey, welcome to the Master Mix Podcast. Thank you so much for being here with me today. My name is Mike Navina, and I'm super excited for this episode. This is a bit of a different one than normal. Normally, we talk a lot about music, but today we're going to be talking about audio for video games, and we're going to be talking about sound design. And I know that this is a topic that we haven't talked about on the show before, and today my guest is Jim Diaz. Jim is an audio engineer, a sound designer. He's worked for companies like LucasArts, Electronic Arts, Sony, Disney, and so many more. And he just has so much experience in this industry and is working on amazing stuff. And in this interview, we get into a lot of really cool conversation about the process of making sound effects for video games or making music for video games and how that all works and how it all comes together. And I just thought this was such an interesting chat. And I know you're going to love this episode. And it's funny, I actually first met Jim because he is a student of mine. He actually signed up for one of my coaching programs. And so... I didn't know about all of this amazing stuff he had been working on until we first started chatting. And once I found out about this, I knew I had to get him on the podcast because he's just working on so much cool stuff. And it's such a fascinating world that we haven't talked about on this podcast before. So I know you're going to love this. I know you're going to find it super interesting. So this is my interview with Jim Diaz. Jim Diaz, thank you so much for being on the Master Mix podcast. How are you today? I'm doing all right. Good to see you. Good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Anytime, man. For people who might not know your background, can you give us that story on how you got into music and ultimately to where you are today, where you're working on video games and spatial audio and a whole bunch of amazing cool stuff? (laughs) Right on. Yeah. Well, you know, I started life as a musician. Uh, My dad was in a band. He gigged around L.A. uh, in the late 60s when I was born. And uh, so I kind of came out playing. My aunt used to tell a story about my pregnant mother with me going to see my dad's band play and my mom grabs my aunt's hand and puts it on her stomach, and I was kicking in time to the band. So uh, <laughs> that was kind of like my first uh, musical performance, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, um, so actually, when I was six, I had a dream about being a bass guitarist. And so my parents hooked me up with guitar lessons, and I started taking lessons from the guy who taught my dad how to play. Uh, but at six, it was a little bit over my head, and I was pounding on everything, like my body and just, you know coffee cans with the plastic lids, whatever I could pound on. And it was like, okay, he's a drummer. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so my 10th birthday, I got a nice uh, Ludwig kit for my 10th birthday and, and, you know, everything was, you know, all bets were off, but I had to take lessons. So they hooked me up with a, with a teacher and I was doing school stuff. And so I was doing like, uh, you know, school competitions. So I, you know, when I was 11 years old, I started winning awards for things like solo snare performance and that kind of stuff. And then I got into marching band and, and uh, you know, we marched all over Northern California and uh, I did that for a while. And I got tired of doing the whole school thing and, you know, wanted to be a rock star. So I, you know, devoted my teens and 20s to uh, trying to do that to no avail. You know, I'd be in a cover band and then, you know, that would, you know fall apart and then I'd go you know be in an original band and we'd do a demo and then every that would implode and I'd go back to cover band and you know did that ad nauseum until I was in my late 20s and I was like okay this is definitely not happening now so uh, I went to school at the Academy of Art in San Francisco and started studying uh, well I wanted to make movies and uh, do like sound for film and that kind of stuff and so that was what my my goal was at school and while I was there uh, some of the students I was enrolled with were talking about working in video games and it was like oh similar discipline steady your paycheck kind of thing and that resonated with me because my dad we're originally from LA area and uh, my dad has some cousins that work uh, 
in the film industry. And my grandfather actually was an electrician in film and television. And uh, so my cousin at a family gathering was saying, oh, you know, he was a grip. And he's like, well, you know, if I'm working on a commercial, you know, I'm always on the phone lining up the next job. But if I'm working on a film or something, I'm, I know I'm working for at least, you know, three months to six months. And so, you know, that kind of resonated with me when they said, oh, similar, similar discipline, but uh, steadier paycheck. And around that time, a really good friend of mine uh, gave me uh, a copy of a game from LucasArts, uh, George Lucas's company. And it was called uh, Dark Forces 2 Jedi Knight. It was a PC game. And I got that thing and I just played the hell out of it. I just, you know, I loved it. It was, it was 3D. It was, it was Star Wars. It was, you know, it had live action cutscenes. It was a really, really cool game. And I thought to myself, you know, I'd like to do this. I'd like to work for a company like this. I said, I'd like to work for this company. And so that same friend, a few months later, he actually found a link uh, to uh, the LucasArts website and they had, you know, jobs available and stuff. And he sent me this you know, oh, it's for Hintline. I don't know what that means, but Hintline was essentially, you know, you play the game and you get stuck and you need a clue to, you know, so you call somebody on the phone and they would answer. And it was some of it was pre-recorded, but some of it you actually talked to somebody live. Anyway, so I applied for that job. Uh, I was in the running, but apparently that went to somebody internally, and so I didn't get looked at for that job. You know, I didn't get hired. Uh, a few months later, a job for a QA technician, quality assurance came open where, you know, it was basically a tester. You play the games and, and you know, so I, I reapplied. They remembered me and they said, oh, yeah, you know, we'll bring you in. And so that's when I started, you know, in my illustrious video game career. So that was <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot of fun, you know, it was, and, and but my my goal was to get into the sound department. And so I, I was in I was in the test department for about three years. And, uh, you know, I was testing all kinds of, you know, different types of games, PC, console, uh, at one point, I moved into what we call compatibility, where we were in a uh, designated lab where I was actually building uh, computers and testing our games in different operating systems, using different video cards, different sound cards, different motherboards, that kind of thing. And, you know, so that was kind of different because, you know, I wasn't just playing the game to be break the game, which is something that I did when I was, in you know, fully in test, but... Uh, you know, I became what was known as a, as a breaker because I would go from team to team and then I would just like, okay, find the holes here and then bang, it's broken. Okay, <laughs> fix it. You know, Were you a big gamer before you got that job? Um, you know, I, I grew up in the 70s and 80s and so like I go back to Pong, right? My yeah, first yeah. video game system was Pong, <laughs> Super Pong 4. And that was, you know, that was a lot of fun. And we had, you know, the first couple of Atari systems. And then I got out of it, you know, I became a teenager, got me interested in, in being in bands and driving and stuff. And, you know, so we would go to like, you know, we had, uh, you know, video game parlors in our area. So it was like a place where you could just go and they had, you know, tons and tons of, of stand-up games and stuff. And so I did a lot of that. Um, but it wasn't until my friend gave me that PC game, because I was, I was getting into PC games, you know, in the mid nineties, cause it was kind of interesting. And, and, uh, you know, it was, it was a different way. It was like a higher end version of video games. And so that, that really appealed to me and the fact that it was PCs and you could, you know, I could build it myself or upgrade it myself and, and, you know, get the latest, greatest video card and, you know, get the highest resolution possible and doing all that kind of stuff. So I was really into the PC thing, especially when I started working in games. Yeah. Those and, games have definitely come a long way since Pong. Oh right? yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, and so I've kind of, you know, been, been around video games my whole life in some degree and then, you know, became my job in, in 1999. So, and that was great. I mean, it was a great experience just working for LucasArts in general. Um, but yeah, you know, I spent a certain amount of time and then it, a job came open in the sound department and I applied and nobody looked at me. 
and another one a couple years later, another one, and nobody looked at me. So finally, one day, one of my managers went to uh, went to the head of the audio department and says, "What does this guy got to do to to get into your department?" And apparently, there was some guy who had you know tried to go from QA into audio, and he did not do the best job, and you know he was caught sleeping in his office occasionally, and you know just had a bad vibe. So he was let go. So they were kind of weary about trying somebody else from test. But, uh, you know, I, luckily I had a good manager who like stood up for me and said, Hey, what we can, what can we do for this guy? And so what it, what ended up happening was, is one day a week, I was allowed to work in the audio department as a, uh, as a sound librarian. And so that was kind of like my introduction into that. And so basically I, I literally converted, uh, the LucasArts sound library from what it had been, which was like a FileMaker pro, kind of interface and, and database. And then that was about the time when things like SoundMiner and NetMix and all these all these third-party library solutions were coming online. And, and uh, so we hooked up with SoundMiner and we hooked up with NetMix and we ended up going with NetMix because they were local. They were in Alameda and we were in the, in the in Marin County. And uh, so, and that was, that was my, you know, first foray into, into doing audio professionally in any capacity. And, and uh, that's a big job too. Cause like, I, I remember with my own experience working in audio post-production, like when I first started, everything was like the FileMaker pro thing. And right. you know, every library had its own FileMaker pro systems that you had to go through and try to find everything. And then I remember when I got a job working for a company in Toronto, uh, we had an affiliation with sound dogs. I'm not sure if, if you're familiar with them, but oh, yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, they were all using, um, uh, What's it called? You just mentioned it. Um, Soundminer? Soundminer, yeah. yeah. They were using Soundminer, and and like when I first saw that, I was like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, this is so much better than right, <laughs> everything right, right. I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're, they're in Canada somewhere. And, yeah, they're know, in Toronto. Yeah, they're they're still going strong, and I use their stuff, you know. And and but it was kind of funny that we everything was so new back then. You know, we were asking for special features, and you know, and so we, you know, one of the reasons we ended up going with Netmix, which is really not really doing anything anymore. I don't think they're a creative network design anyway. Um, so we, you know, oh, we've got a list of of you know of functions we'd like to you know see in your software. And Soundminer came back and said, oh, here's why you don't want those, and you know. The next iteration of NitMix had those, you know, features added to it. So we're like, okay, we're going to go with this guy because he like totally <laughs> responds to us, um, and he was a real good guy too. And I, you know, we lost contact a few years ago. But uh, anyway, so yeah, it was it was you know it was converting all that stuff. We came up with a new uh, naming uh, convention for all the files, you know, and this was back in like OS nine. So you know, we had character limitations that we had to hold to, you know, now you can pretty much have any name you want and it could go on for however many characters you can think of, maybe 64, but uh, um, at this time it was like limited to 16. So we had to be very concise so that if, if the software was down or the, the server was down, you could still at least look at the library and go, oh, I know what this is. Or, you know, when we had category folders and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of, it was good because it was tedious, but it was, you know, I'm, I, you know, I can handle that kind of stuff. I, I like, you know, the, the little minutiae of how things, you know, organizational things. And, and so it was kind of right up my alley. And yeah, the, 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 the file maker thing was kind of interesting because we had four different interfaces, you know, and, and we had several steps. So it was like raw and then prepped and then cooked and served. Right. So, you know, the raw was like straight data coming off of, you know, either commercial libraries or we would occasionally get stuff from Skywalker sound. And, you know, so that stuff would become in a raw form and then we would cut it up to make it game ready and that was kind of like the prepped, and then you know we like normalize it and do all kinds of whatever else, and then and that was, and then when we when we actually put it in the the, uh, the actual library part, then it was served, and so yeah, that was uh, 
that was using FileMaker uh, Pro and, and Apple Scripts. And wow. uh, Larry Oppen- Oppenheimer, Larry the O, I have some, he's kind of a – some people may know him or not. His, his brother was the uh, – the editor for uh, Mix for a while, an electronic musician. And so Larry used to have a page on the last page of uh, an electronic musician called the final page or something like that, final statement or whatever, and it was him. And literally the day before I started at LucasArts, I happened to read that article for the first time. And I'm like, oh, my God, this guy works at LucasArts. I'm going to start there tomorrow. And uh, I went to the kitchen to go grab a drink, and sure enough, here comes Larry, and he was coming to make himself some coffee. I said, oh, you're Larry the sound guy. And he's like, yes, I am. <laughs> you know. So that was my, my first introduction to Larry. He's a really great guy, and he was my one of my main mentors when I was there. So as, as, the, the, as time went on, uh, they had an opening in, for an administrative position in the sound department. And that was when I was doing the uh, one-day-a-week kind of uh, – internship and so i applied for that and you know i it ended up going to somebody who actually had administrative positions you know but it was i wanted to get in you know just learn and and be around a professional facility and understand how things worked and so anyway so that we did the 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 sound library thing and then um one of my colleagues nick peck who now works for disney he uh, is the head of uh disney worldwide publishing audio and uh yeah, and so he was. He was. He came in as a supervisor there, and he started teaching a class at a local uh, community college about on um, Pro Tools. And so it was suggested that I take this Pro Tools class to get my chops up. And you know, I'd been working in Cubase and stuff at the time, and I at the Academy of Art, I took uh, a Pro Tools class. Um, and then so Nick started teaching this class at Diablo Valley College out near me, where I live uh, in the Bay Area, and. Uh, like three weeks into that class, he went to our boss and he goes, we got to get this guy in production like right now. And I'm like, wow, that was pretty cool. He did. That's very that. cool. Yeah. And so uh, my first game was called Armed and Dangerous and uh, it was an Xbox game. I think it went out on PS2 as well. Um, but uh, yeah, so that was my first. And I did probably half the sounds in that game. And, uh, you know, it was it was my first real big, you know. I was so happy to be doing the work, you know, and it was pretty primitive at the time. You know, we didn't have any sophisticated game engines or anything like that. It was pretty much creating content and then throwing it over a fence for somebody else to hook up and, and uh, you know, implement. And uh, we did a lot of pre-production, so all the levels were kind of done beforehand. Um, and techniques changed as, as, as time went on. But at that time, that's the way we did it. And, you know, and so it was it was it was it was a very cool experience and, and you know when you see your name you know and you're playing a game that you've made you know there's nothing like that it's it's a you know it's a very fulfilling kind of experience i bet that's crazy so like when it comes to making music for video games like what goes into it because i feel like it's this kind of this mysterious art that i think people are familiar with like you know uh, most of the people that listen to this are obviously like music people and you know they're very familiar with that world and even sound for film and television, I'm sure people understand that to some degree. But when it comes to video games, it's it seems to be a little bit more like mysterious. At, le- at least to me, I feel that way. You know, like there seems to be so many elements that go into it, and then I think when you combine that with like the programming side of it and all that, it, it right, seems right. very complex. Yeah, well, you know, the programming side is one thing, and there's you know a whole team of people usually working on that kind of stuff. Um, and again, you know, when I first started, there was no you know third party you know like you know tools like Unreal or, say, FMOD or, or um, WISE, WISE, in terms of, you know, game engine software. They just didn't exist. And so everything was kind of done from scratch, you know, as a whole, you know, as a whole package. Um, 
So yeah, and my you know my 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 specialty was sound effects, and so you know I really I I did do some music recording and some you know editing stuff. So basically, in the context of a game, you know you, there's usually a composer. Uh, who you know, and at LucasArts we had a staff. Comp- we had several staff composers. We had a bunch of sound designers, um, and people who specialized in dialogue. So you know, we all kind of had our, our our kind of specialty that we. But we all you know, most of us were musicians, and so you know, if there was something where you know we needed to do you know a pop style recording or whatever, you know, one of us I, I'd I'd usually be the drummer, and we'd have a guy who would play keyboards, and you know, some guys. Bring in session guys for horns or whatever, and and uh, so. But generally, it starts with the composer, and then you know the composer works with the the, the story crew, and and they kind of map out how things are going to work, and and you know, we, sound design, you know, work kind of together with game. And, and, and as things got more interactive, we could do you know really cool things like having. Uh, uh, different cues for different areas, and so if you had a path that was going to be an easier path or a path that was going to go into battle, the music would be different depending on which way you went and that kind of stuff. Um, so, but the, the the composers would write things in chunks, you know, in cues, and in some cases they would record live orchestras or live you know musicians, um, or sometimes they would do a hybrid of MIDI instruments and live musicians, depending on what the project called for, what the budget allowed for, that kind of stuff. Um, and then, yeah, so uh, as things got more sophisticated, you know, they could do really cool stuff where uh, you could do things according to BPM, and, you know, you could have multiple stems playing alongside each other. Some would be faded down, some would be faded up, and then depending on whatever the game situation would be, uh, you know, the those faders could, you know, be, you know, we'd have snapshots of, of mixed levels and things. And so you could change your snapshot depending on whatever the gameplay required. And so you could move in and out these different states of music and how they would play back. And, and the same thing for, for, you know, sound effects and sound audio. So like, you know, we used to do really basic ambience uh, you know, for environments kind of stuff. And, and, you know, it would be very simple, like quad, you know, quad surround kind of ambient loops that would play. And then occasionally we'd have a random one shot or something that would play, you know, like a bird call or whatever, a flyby or whatever. Um, and now we, you know, things are so sophisticated. We can have like really, really in- intricate systems, you know, like weather systems where, you know, oh, it's going to start to rain and you have different levels of rain that come in and out. Or, you know, if you've got a vehicle and you're, you know, you're, oh, it's suddenly rainy or snowy, you know, the tires will play, you know, based upon whatever texture that, you know, is being triggered. So, oh, it's a snow. So you hear the snow and the tires in the snow. And we could be, you know, and it could totally be, you know, like a, it's literally a CC event, you know, control, uh, <clears throat> uh, continuous control kind of thing. So, you know, depending on whatever the game play, gameplay, you know, implies, is that what will happen? So, yeah, one of the games I was working on uh, in the last few years was called Days Gone. It was a uh, PlayStation 4 game. And, and, uh, that was took place in Oregon and there was lots of, you know, lots of rain, lots of snow. And so the textures would change according to whatever your vehicle or your, or your character was walking or riding on. And, and, uh, you know, so those things could change at will, you know, you have a little puddle and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, you get really, really sophisticated, you know, have multi-tiered sounds for, uh, like waterfalls or, you know, moving water or any kind, you know, it was, it, you get really, really sophisticated, you know, and even in terms of the game engine we were using for the audio engine we were using for that game was the Sony Scream engine. And that allowed us really cool things to do 
two. So we had like four active reverbs at a time. So if you go into your outdoor reverb is one thing and then you go inside a building and then, oh, you're in the living room, that's the living room. And then you could nest all these things in together so that, you know, oh, if you're in the bathroom and you shoot a gun, it sounds like you're in a bathroom, you know, that kind of stuff. So it could, you know, it's gone from very simplistic and very crude to very sophisticated and very, you know, kind of, you know, very open and fluid. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, like as you're talking about all of this stuff, my mind's just racing with like <laughs> thinking about all of the possibilities that could happen and how you prepare for all of that. Right. And 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 yeah, I mean like you know, obviously there's there's the dialogue that happens in the games, there's the the music and like you said there's composers that are writing stuff and then there's the sound effects and all that ambience, all that kind of stuff like there there's so many situations that people could experience inside of a game and I yes. and I imagine that, you know, you you said you're you said that people write in cues. They're not writing full songs when they're arranging like compositions and that kind of thing. Right, right. right. So and, like and a, like a cue is like generally like how long would that would a cue generally be like? Depends. It really depends. I mean, it could be anything from a stinger. You know, where, you know, you have a, a significant event that occurs and you need that one stinger, and but it'll you know the bed will still continue to play, or mm-hmm. it could be based upon an area. You know, and okay, well, this area is going to have this music. You know, if you listen, like, especially Star Wars is really great for understanding these kinds of things because John Williams was tremendous at writing, you know, thematic motifs based on characters. So, like, Princess Leia has a has a motif, and Luke has a motif, and you know, Vader has a motif, and then anything associated with the Empire has that one motif or the Force powers, right? So all you know, and we know these cues because we use them so many times in games, and you know, so we got really familiar with the cues made for film. So it's it's not that dissimilar from a film composer where, you know, you're writing things according to scenes. It's essentially the same kind of thing, but it's a little bit more sophisticated in the fact that it has to be interactive and it needs to be, you know, something that gives you the impression of, of a real living environment. And so when we're thinking, especially in sound design, we don't think of, you know, like it, if, you're, if you're working in post-production and you're rating, making a film or television show, that's a very linear kind of media. You know, there's a beginning, a definite beginning, a definite middle, a definite end, right? And so, you know, and at, you know, whatever happens in the scene, the villain is about to shoot the hero and we need a gunshot for that. And I'm like, hey, great. They can, they can make the best gunshot for that one thing, you know. But if you go to somebody who works in post-production and, you know, want them to make a, a gunshot for a video game and they give you one shot and it's like, no, man, that's just not going to cut it. We need we need a group of shots because, you know, and I, I've, rec- I've recorded weapons for games and, you know, when you fire a gun and you fire it again, the second shot does not sound like the first shot. It's because the, the air has been displaced in a certain way. And so you get all of these different little factors and their subtleties. And so there's tricks that we do in game engines. So like for this Days Gone thing, I did most of the weapons for that game. And so a lot of the weapon sounds were actually not one sound or, or you know, or a mixed sound. It was layers of different frequency bands of, of, of pool of sounds. So you'll have like the action of the, the, the hammer hitting the round, you know, the pulling of the trigger part. And then you have what we call the POWs, and right? And so I would break those up into high frequency, mid frequency, and low frequency bands, and then occasionally add like a synthetic thumper to make them really kind of over the top cinematic kind of thing. And so each one of those bands will have a pool of however many sounds, let's say, you know, five to 10 sounds. So and if further stretch out the content, those can be slightly pitched and slightly volumized in such a way that when we set a range, you know, it's like, okay, it'll be plus one or minus two, a range within there. And, and the same thing for, you know, like a, a scent of pitch. So it's really stretching out the content. 
And, you know, so you're never going to get the same shot twice in a row, yeah. you know, it's just going to be, and everything's set to randomize and, 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 you know, and, you know, then you add, you know, like ricochets and those will play differently. You know, they'll, they'll choose from a, a pool of sounds that you're, you know, you're triggering depending on the game situation and just gives you that sense of realism or, you know, you're buying into the experience. And one thing I always said about doing sound design, especially for games is, you know, I don't want you to notice what it is that I'm doing, you know, my sounds should be a part of the experience that you're buying into, you know, the, you know, you know, if, if, if I hear something in a game that is just, you know, so over the top or, you know, takes me out of the experience, it, it, it breaks that, 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 you know, suspension of, of, of disbelief, you know, you really want to kind of just, you know, accept my sounds as reinforcement, you know, and it's informative, you know, I try to, you know, especially with things, what we call UI user, you know, interactions, interactive sounds where you're picking up an item or you're picking up a, you know, a power up or something. And part of that sound is not only to let you know, you've picked it up, but also to inform you as to what it is. So, you know, if you're picking up like a health bottle of something, you hear the, you know, the cork pull or, or whatever you, uh, you know, you pick up a piece of paper and it rustles or whatever it is, whatever is, you know, is a suitable, you know, uh, sound for that particular item you know when you pick those things up you want to make sure that you're informing the player oh this is what that is and so i know that you know but again you're you're doing it in such a way that it's informative but you're buying into it as an experience and you're not really kind of noticing it as a sound yeah that makes sense it's kind of like it's kind of like um like fully in in film right it's like yes. you know the clothing rustles and that kind of stuff I'm, I'm assuming that there's probably a lot of foley that goes into this kind of stuff but Tons. it's just yeah, it's just yeah. more like on an interactive level where you right. know, if i lift my arm this way i hear a certain sound or if i you know go like, yeah yeah my... exactly so we'll, yeah so we'll get like a, a series of animations for characters right and so and they are actual animations and in, the cool thing about working in unreal is is their animation editors really intuitive and really friendly and the systems we have so like for footsteps we had what we called impact events and so rather than assigning a, a specific sound for a footstep you have footsteps based on whatever texture the character is walking on. So you add the event to the animation and then the system determines, oh, I'm walking on grass. This is sound like grass. I'm walking on concrete. This is sound like concrete. And so it's pulling from a bank of files that we create in the sound engine part. And then that, you know, then the game engine tells it, oh, this is what we're doing there. But we, but like for Foley and stuff. So yeah, if, you know, you got an arm swipe, you want, you know, you want a whoosh from this arm, arm swipe and you want the sound of the, the whatever fabric or whatever clothing they're wearing and that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, we can get really, really detailed in terms of Foley and, and, you know, how things play back based upon whatever the game input is or whatever, you know, if it's a cut scene or whatever. We That's can amazing. get really, really fine in there, yeah. So are you guys generally making these effects or the Foley things? Like, is this all done to picture generally? Or are it you getting be. like a list of things ahead of time? Or You know, again, it's, it's an evolutionary thing. So, yeah, initially it was we'd have, you know, animations, you know, that we'd have to feed. There would be an animator and we'd say, okay, attach these sounds to this thing. Um, and then as time went on, it became us doing it. And that was the best part. It's like, if I can go in, I get a video, I put it in Pro Tools, and then I start adding my sounds to whatever it is, then, you know, I create my sounds there, and then I take those sounds and I put them in the animation editor in Unreal or whatever. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a multi-tiered kind of process, but we get, you know, because we can add them, we can add the sounds to the actual, you know, game elements now it's great because you can actually you know then you render it you play it back and you're like oh i need to make this adjustment or whatever so it was it's a lot more fluid it's a lot more intricate and you know you know as it as somebody who makes the sounds it's it's 
it's much funner and more, more fun and you get more of the result that you're trying to, you know, design for. So, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I was, I was curious about that. Like if you would maybe get like an, like I was curious about how you guys organized your, your queue list of like all the <laughs> things that you needed. Like I imagine that, you know, that would just be like thousands and thousands of pages yes. of, of queues. Yes. Yes. And then, and then I was like, Oh, I wonder if you like just, you, you, t- you, take a big chunk of them and then send them off to the game tester. And they're like, Oh, there's no audio when I do this or that kind of thing. But, well, but I guess yeah. it makes sense if you guys get to do it yourself. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. Initially that's the way it would be, it would, you know, or we would play the game because you, you know, as, as the, as the sound designer, you're definitely testing the software as well. So, um, you know, there's a chance for you to see, Oh yeah, this is, this is working. This isn't working. And then, you know, in the days when I wasn't in control of the volume, I'd have to go sit with like a, a level designer or somebody and say, okay, let's bump this up. Let's bring this back, whatever we needed to do. Uh, yeah. Some games, Games uh, that I'm known for, I guess, a little bit are the first two Battlefront games that LucasArts made back in 2004, 2006. And we were partnered with a company called Pandemic Games in uh, Westwood, uh, outside of Los Angeles. And uh, so I would actually sit with a guy at his desk who was the level designer. And so all the vehicles in those games, it's like, okay, well, let's turn up the middle band. Let's turn up the high end band, whatever, depending on how, you know, we're going to accelerate, we're going to decelerate. We're going to see what, you know, whatever is happening or, you know, oh, let's test the weapons, you know, whatever the weapons, is that the right weapon? Yes, that's the right weapon, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And then as, again, as, as things got more sophisticated, then it was me doing it by myself in my, in my edit suite and just kind of like going, okay, this is the way I want it to sound. And we have all these like, test scenarios where you know there are, are certain levels where we create where they're strictly just for testing you know especially things like distance you know so we could you know okay so i'm shooting a user gun a player gun and then there's an npc off in the distance shooting the same gun at me and i need to I need to create not only the surround version for the player gun, but I need to do what it sounds like when an enemy shoots at you and make sure that that sounds right, you know? And so it's, it's, you know, we would do things like that. And so there would be like actual, you can see the numbers of how far and everything was kind of in meters and in, in, in certain games. So it was like, okay, well, this is like 30 meters away. I, okay. This is what it should sound like from there, you know? And usually you're operating under the, the scenario that if, you know, if you see it, you hear it and, and that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So, so what does the typical timeline look like for a video game? Because I imagine that when you're recording all of these little samples, you know, they, they might be a five second sample or even a thirty, like a half a second sample, but it doesn't take that long to to record it and be done. There's obviously like a lot of work to to prep the files and make sure that they're right, you know, right. ready for the game and all that kind of stuff. So I yeah. imagine that it takes forever to get this stuff. It's done. a process. It takes you know, and the more sophisticated the game, the longer it takes to develop. You know, a lot of the games that I first started on, they were maybe in development for you know two to four years, depending. Now you know, with with games like from uh, Rockstar, you know, they're taking you know, seven years or more to, to, to put out games these days. And, and they're, they're kind of like the highest level of detail in terms of, you know, bang for your buck when it comes to video game design. And, and you know, like a game like Red Redemption, Red Dead Redemption 2 is, is you know, most likely the most sophisticated video game ever made. And there's so many intricate systems that, you know, and they took, a, they took, the, they take their time. They make sure the games are, are, you know, in the state they wanted to be before they release them. And, you know, you're not always, you don't always have that luxury. I've worked on games that have been tied to films and you've got that date and you, you've got to hit that date. And so that's very different than something where you can, you know, it's completely for the artistic expression of the, of the, you know, the design team or the creative team. You know, I mean, I've had games where, you know, okay, 
movie's going to be in the theaters on this date. We need to be in stores two weeks before that. And so as that date approaches, you know, depending on how this, the, this game can be, you know, features are getting cut, levels are getting cut, you know, and you're just like, oh, we're just wrecking this game, you know, and it's, it's, it's not, you know, it, it's tough, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it, you know, it depends on whatever the, the cycle is, you know, the longer your cycle, the more, you know, more room you have to kind of get things together, you know, and, and, you know, these days everything, you know, all the principal cast are usually doing like motion capture. So, you know, all the dialogue is recorded on a soundstage, you know, with people in, in, uh, in motion cap suits. And, you know, the first time I did any motion capture work was on a game called The Force Unleashed. It was my last project at LucasArts before I left. And we were doing all the principal cast. Uh, we did facial motion capture for them. And so I was recording the dialogue at the same time. And, and uh, so we had, uh, you know, an array of infrared um, motion capture cameras that were developed by ILM for their film stuff. So they were just coming off of one of the... Uh, one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movie. And so they were actually trying to leverage the, the, there was a big synergy at the time between, you know, uh, ILM and LucasArts because we have the real time rendering in the game stuff. And, you know, when they would do, you know, composites for, for films, it would take, you know, overnight using everybody, you know, they would tie everybody's machine together. And, and, you know, so everybody's machine that's what, even though you're asleep and you're not at work, it's processing com you know, composite you know, composites for some film that somebody's working on. So, you know, and so they wanted to leverage some real time effects to, to kind of like see a mock-up of what they were doing. And anyway, so they, they, you know, worked with us to get the, the motion capture going on force unleashed. And so, yeah, that was great. Cause you know, it was, we had all the principal cast there and, and, uh, you know, did everybody, you know, I, I got to, you know, we had everything all synced up with the, like a Pro Tools IO box sync. And, you know, so we had the, the motion, motion capture cameras. We had a video camera for our reference and then we were recording, you know, in real time. And so all that stuff ended up in the game. And, you know, so that was fun. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. I just imagine that it would like, yeah, I'm just again like my my brain is just spinning with like <laughs> thinking about how big these projects are because, yeah. because I remember even just like doing like sound effects and stuff like that for film and television stuff. And like, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into that. And, and, and what I found in that industry at least was that it seemed like by the time things got to the audio department, budgets had already blown over timeframes had already blown over. So usually the audio department kind of got screwed because it was like one of the last steps and it was like, okay, like this should normally take you a month to do, but can you do it in like three days? And, right. You know, right. And, and you'd be like, Oh shit. Like, I, I guess we're not sleeping for the next few no, days. Right? No. And that's very much the same in video games. You know, they're called video games, not audio games. Yeah. So, you know, even, even like rock band or, or, you know, or guitar hero, you know, those are still video games. So, you know, unfortunately audio is kind of like the last thought, when it comes to a lot of games and, and, you know, which was, you know, we tried to do something special at, at LucasArts, you know, Lucas company, uh, George was very much about, you know, he, one of his quotes is, you know, you know, sound is 50% of the movie going experience. And so he really embraced kind of audio, but generally speaking, you know, our footprint on, you know, when we were still, you know, doing, you know, media where we actually put games out on, on CD or DVD or whatever, we would get maybe a quarter of the data, on a, on a DVD or, or, a, or a CD when we were doing game work. So um, I'm not sure what it is now because everything's all download. Um, I'm sure, you know, the Rockstar games get, you know, at least that or more because they've, there's so many things. And, and that's including using codec. You know, we're, we're talking about not even full res. So like, yeah, my mm -hmm. first game, we were actually using uh, 16, uh, what is it, 22050 uh resolution because it was still half the size of a 16441 right 
Um, and so, yeah, but now, you know, like Sony had their own proprietary codec that we used and it was, it was really, really good. I can't remember what the, what the codec is it for. And the company I'm working for now, Spatial, we're using uh, an Opus codec, which is a uh, Og Opus. Um, and we're looking into other things, but yeah, I mean, we're talking about, you know, already data compressed files going down. So they weren't even full waves. Uh, sometimes like, like music and dialogue are usually streamed in. And by that, I mean, it's not memory resident. So like when we're doing sound effects, those things are like a bank of sounds and those get loaded into memory when the when the scene loads or when the when the game loads um, but usually dialogue and music happen on the fly same thing with with ambient stuff too because uh, those are being streamed in because they're they, they want it real time and so you know it also eases up on on some processing occasionally you know, so. that's crazy so then as far as like the mix of like what you're seeing in a video game and what you're hearing and all the all those different layers how does that mix normally get determined like is that because, because like you said, like you know, if I'm walking closer to like a waterfall in the distance or something like that, like I'm gonna hear that get louder, and and that's all dependent on the the person and what they're doing, right? So exactly, is, is exactly. the mix determined by just like relative distance and stuff like that? Like, is it is that just all programmed in or? It, it's it's part of the the sound engine. So like uh, in the case of Scream, we would have you know an inner radius and an outer radius, and we could set that to whatever parameter we want. So like the guns would be really really big. The inner radius is the sound at its maximum level, and then the outer radius is the drop off. So you know from that point of the of the inner radius to the the point of the outer radius would be whatever the distance effect would be applied and we would have a variety of distance effects that we could choose from and you know depending on you know whatever our desired result would be um, and we would put, you know, could swap those in inside the game engine and then we would render out all the data would get loaded into a bank and then that bank gets loaded into the game when it, when it launches. So yeah, that was how we handled things like that. So basically you're using the 3d map of the game engine you're placing, you know, if, if like we would put emitters, you know, along like, uh, you know, flowing water or something like that, or, you know, whatever you could think of. And so if anything was going to just be static in the world, it was always going to play from that particular place. Then, you know, then we set the radius from radium from that, you know, so like, okay, here's how the loud, here's how far the loudest part's going to be. And here's how far the fall is going to be. And, you know, but yeah, everything is based upon a location within the game or a character. So everything is actually tied to the coordinates of whatever item is playing in the space. And then, so the character that you're playing, whether it's a first or a third person, there's usually like a virtual microphone behind their head. And so as it approaches anything in the game, that's where the sound is going to kind of hit playback for the player within the context of, of their, you know, whether they're on home theater or headphones or whatever. That's very cool. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I, didn't imagine that you know it's it's impossible to like have someone mix a video game you know well, no, I mean? it, it, <laughs> but there, and again we had we had a virtual mixer in the sound engine right so we set levels there so we like ballpark stuff and then we'll have you know an actual mix session where you know somebody will play the full game with you know the sound engine open and they're making actual mixer adjustments and then we, like i said we had snapshots right so okay for a cut scene is going to be it's going to have to sound different because that that raging waterfall is going to interfere with the dialogue and so when the cutscene starts we switch to a different snapshot brings the water down and so it focuses on the on the on the dialogue and then when the cutscene ends it goes back to the original you know baseline mix yeah so you know there yeah it, and and 
the, that was the cool thing about Scream. Scream was really awesome to work with, and it had you know like a great mixer. Like using something like Wise or FMOD is not quite as sophisticated. It's it's still effective and it works, but it just doesn't have that kind of level of detail that, that I liked personally using the Sony Scream software. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, I mean, there's just yeah, it, it blows my mind how how much preparation has to go into all of this stuff, you know, because because it it's it's very unpredictable, you know, like <laughs> people. Right. People might like, you know, obviously people are supposed to play the game a certain way and go from point A to point B, but some people don't want to go to point B yet. You know, they want to. So it's like it's just planning for all that kind of stuff. And right. And, and open world games really kind of play that up, you know, in terms of the the random nature of things. And, you know, you can do anything in, in any order you want. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, again, yeah, the pre-production, you know, your 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 mentality for creating content for that kind of, of, of interaction, interactivity you know, it's very different than doing something very linear like, pro, you know, like post-production stuff. I mean, I've done post-production stuff, but it's, you know, I, it's like, oh, this is so easy. You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't have to create 10 gunshots for that one. Those thing, must be know? dream sessions <laughs> for you. <laughs> yeah, well, it depends on who the, who the, who the crew are, but yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, uh, nothing against anybody. Uh, but yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's when you're making something for, you know, a, uh, when you're trying to recreate, you know, a, a realistic or a, you know, a believable environment, you know, in a type of video game, you know, it's, it's, you know, you, there was a time when you just heard that same footstep over and over and over again. It's like, oh, you just get tired, you get ear fatigued of it and it takes you out of the experience. Now things are so sophisticated that you can, you know, pretty much do whatever you want to create some sort of scenario that, you know, is, is the desired result, you know, there's for sure no limits to what we can do in terms of for sure. I, it, it's like to take it to, back to like audio for a second. It's like having the same one shot drum sample, you know, like on every exactly. single hit and then every everything just sounds robotic. There's no right. human feel to it. Like, yes. you know, it, it's very much in that it's that kind of concept. But for yeah, a, yeah. a much and bigger I've, landscape. I've, yeah, I, you know, I'm a drummer myself and I recorded an, an album with a friend of mine and we were using a, a, a Roland kit with like drums from hell and some other, you know, other sample kind of thing. And, and you could tell, man, when you're hearing that snare drum, it's that same snare drum over and over again. It's like, man, that's so annoying. You can't get that nuance or, you know, the feel out of a hi-hat as you can with like a real, real cymbal, unless you've got a, a sound set that is, has those, you know, different velocity settings or whatever, you know, different, different, you know, versions of, of oh, I can, I, I can get that, you know, that, that ghost note on that one, you know, yeah. one hit, you know, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's very much in that vein in, in terms yeah. of you know trying to emulate something that we know exists already but it's not really that thing you know for sure so if someone was looking to get into doing what you do and working in this video game industry and doing sound for that like what's the best way to start with that cuz i think there's so many people that are listening to this and thinking like this sounds awesome so what now? Do I just like record a bunch of sound effects? Do I like, how, how do you get into this? Yeah, it's tough. I get, you know, I, I was lucky. I, you know, I kind of backdoored my way in, you know, I saw an idea, you know, so I, I had an opening and I kind of had a goal and literally it's like the first time in my life where it's like, you know, I actually achieved a goal that I set for myself. You know, I, I, I you know, I was studying to make sound for film and, you know, video game thing came along. And so, you know, again, a friend of mine who was very influential on, on, you know, my career said, Hey, here, you know, here's a, here's a link. Um, you know, and I luckily got the job and I luckily, you know, got to, t got to break into the sound department. I don't know how somebody could do it now. I really don't. I mean, it's, it's difficult. I mean, even there have been times, you know, it, the mobile thing really hit the video game industry hard. You know, when, when the iPhones first started coming out, smartphones, uh, you know, 
a lot of companies were like, what are we doing? How do we, you know, this is a different market than we're used to. And so there was some real, you know, kind of, you know, you know, unsteady times in, in video game development, you know, in the, in the mid to late, you know, 2000s. And, and uh, you know, it, it, it got really dicey. You know, it was difficult for me to get jobs in healing. But, you know, I've been lucky. I've been working for, I've worked for a lot of good companies. I started out LucasArts, went to Activision, went to Sega, you know, worked with Zynga for a little while, Disney, uh, Sony, you know, so I've been at some really, really named places. And, and, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times it's somebody, you know, rather than, you know, you're, you're, you know, I mean, that's the way it is in music business too. You know, sometimes it's who, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, your abilities or whatever. Uh, perseverance is key. You know, you got to be really, you know, don't be afraid to try something out, you know, find somebody, you know, find an indie, you know, game. You know, I found some people in England that were making a small flash game and I helped them out doing some, some contract work. Um, you know, things like leaked in or, you know, there's a couple, uh, audio lister or sound lister, I think is what it is. They have a lot of, you know, video game jobs or gamesmith. Um, you know, uh, it depends on what the needs are for the game. You know, usually, you know, I was having a tough time because I was senior. They didn't want to hire any senior people. Then they didn't want to hire any junior people. And I had, you know, my choice of a few jobs. So, you know, it really depends on what the, uh, you know, what the, what the tone of the, of the industry is at a given time. And, and, uh, you know, but again, I, I got lucky. I mean, I don't, I, you know, I get this, I've been asked this before. And it's like, well, you know, I didn't know anybody, but, you know, I did this thing and, and it just kind of happened to work out for me. Um, and, you know, talking with other people was kind of the same thing. You know, one of the guys I worked with at LucasArts actually started out working at Skywalker Sound. And, you know, then a job came open at, at Lucas, uh, LucasArts. And he's like, oh, maybe I'd like to do that better. And so he kind of, you know, transferred. And, uh, and you know, he ended up being a manager at Sony uh, PlayStation for a little while. And, and now he's actually doing post-production work on uh, some of the Disney, Disney shows. I think he's been doing, he did uh, Bad Batch. And I think he worked on... Uh, uh, Boba Fett and stuff. So hmm, cool. Know, it, it's it, you know again he he's a real kind of you know go getter kind of guy and I, you know I'm I'm much more of like oh you know like, hey there's a job I'll try and get that job. You know? So, <laughs> but um, I think you I think you nailed it though. I think persistence persistence is one of those things that in any industry it's like if, if you're persistent and you you're driven enough to like pursue something to to the end like you'll make it happen and. Yeah, it might be a hard industry to get into right now. But even when you were telling your story, you talked about how you applied for jobs that you didn't get. And right. and that happened a few times. And so many people would just be defeated by that and never actually continue to try again. Right. And and you were like, oh, no, I got to do this. And so, you know, you just put in your time and put in your effort and just kept doing it until eventually it worked out. Yeah, I that, that was what worked for me. I was driven. I had a goal. I wanted to do it. And that, you know, I somehow, you know, made it happen, you know, to sheer spirit of wanting to do it. You know? Yeah. And, and I'm sure that just through maybe name recognition or something like that, you know, the fact that you applied so many times, you're like, oh, we've heard this name before. You know? <laughs> it sometimes happens, you know, yeah. I, I think back to like one of my first jobs growing up, I, uh, I mean, I worked at like McDonald's and stuff like that when I was first starting, but, but I always, there was a music store in my town and I always wanted to get a job there. And I was like, right. that, that's the place, right? That's the dream. <laughs> And I, and it was like a mom and pop shop. And, and I remember like, there was a point where I just went like every few weeks and would hand in a resume. And like, <laughs> even though I knew they weren't hiring and, and like, finally, like year, like probably like a year and a half later, the owner called me one day and he's like, Mike, 
I'm sick of you sending resumes. Like, do you want a job? I've got it. Like, take it. <laughs> like, fuck, stop sending resumes. You know? Right, right. And it's like, yeah. and then in that moment, I realized, like, okay, persistence is kind of cool. Like, <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah. And it will pay off, you know, if you're if you're really passionate about what you do, you know, it, it comes through, you know, it's real easy to, you know, do something you like. It really is, you know, and I love, I love making games, you know, uh, it's just, you know, right now I'm not making games. I haven't made a game for a couple of years now, but, uh, you know, it's, 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 it, the work is great. The business is not always great. So, you know, you've got to kind of, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a line you're walking for sure. And yeah. when it's good, it's great, you know, and, you know, sometimes it's just not, and, you know, but that's life, you know, that's the way it is. And so you roll with the punches and I was lucky enough that, uh, you know, one of the former presidents of LucasArts contacted me for my job that I have now. And he's like, oh, we've been to the same places, you know, we should know each other. And so, yeah, so I've been with this company, uh, Spatial, for the past couple of years. And we're doing like a, a new real-time 3D audio engine kind of technology. And so that's where that's where I'm headed these days. Very cool. Yeah, that, that's amazing. And I, and I definitely want to talk about Spatial in a sec. Um you know, I just want to like kind of wrap up the the whole video game industry side of things, and and you know, as far as people who are trying to get into this, um, you know, is it when it comes to like the sound design thing, is is your portfolio as important as it would be for like you know music production, like with music Absolutely. production? Okay, so should yeah. pe- should people be like working on composing their own stuff or like making their Absolutely. own sound effects? Absolutely, or you know, it, it you know, go to art schools and see if people are doing animation work, and you know offer to do sound design for their animations or somebody making a, a, you know, an independent film or something, you know, there's always ways that you can find some work, even, or there's a company or there's a website called Slated, um, which does, you know, kind of film projects and stuff. And they've got a wide variety of, of, of uh, jobs there, you know, from, you know, super cheap to, you know, full, you know, full on, you know, film production kind of level. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's all but you got to be creative. You got to figure out, you know, how can I put together a portfolio? And you know, doing school projects is are, you know, are all well and good, but you know, once you get something in the in the marketplace that's making money, you know, then people are going to be more inclined to to, you know, take a chance with somebody who, you know, okay, well, you know, I've seen you've been here, I've seen this thing or whatever. And you know, like uh we we we're been hiring people for our company, and, you know, this one guy did some you know apple commercials and so that went a long way oh we'll we'll take a look at that guy so you know they're just but yeah building a portfolio you know my personal website i've got a variety of of you know work that i've done both in games and and and, uh post-production i don't have any music stuff up there but i intend to get some at some point uh, but yeah a portfolio is huge you know it's it, it can be a defining factor for whether or not you get the call for that job or not yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Because, yeah, and you're always going to be people are always going to look at your portfolio to determine whether or not whether or not you actually know what you're talking about and or if you know how to do it right. Exactly. And so if you don't have anything, then it's then you just seem inexperienced. Right. Right. But, and keep it updated. That's another thing. It's like if you've got some new project, man, you get it in there right away, you know, and usually a reel is anywhere from, you know, five minutes to 15 minutes, depending on how detailed you want to go. I think you know the, the four minute, three minute portfolio reel 
is a good, you know, good starting point. And then you can have the longer pieces that people can reference if they really want to investigate what you can do and that kind of stuff. So like there's a four minute video on the, on the homepage of my video or my uh, personal website, jimdinasaudio.com. And, uh, you can see some of my work there and, you know, there's a portfolio page where there's more, you know, like there's some commercials that I've done and, and, you know, other, you know, elaborate game work. That's not just kind of snippets or whatever. They're a little more, you know, spotlight on, on certain games. So, but yeah, I, I find that that really helps. And then, you know, having a good resume that, you know, is legible and, 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 you know, depicts what experience you do have. And, and that, that has helped me out quite a bit too. Absolutely. That's great. Great advice. So one, one question that I was curious about when it comes to the sound design thing is that, you know, I, I, I have a lot of background in music and, and as do you and most of the people listening to this, and there are people who, who, who are thinking to themselves, like, I don't even know how to mic up an acoustic guitar or a drum kit, that kind of thing. And then here you are in the sound design world recording non-musical instruments essentially you know like there's a photo of you on your website i think it's you taking a sledgehammer to a car and recording that and it's like you know i was thinking like hum hmm, like what's the best (laughs) mic positioning for that you know like (laughs) do you have something close mic does a distance you know like all these kind of things so i imagine that there's like a bit of a learning curve to to finding these optimal mic positions for these inanimate objects and then there's probably a lot of cases too where you only get one chance to record the sound. Right. Know, if a car is exploding yeah. or something like that, like you know, you can't you can't mess it up. So, so how do you go about like approaching that side of it? Wow, you know that, that you know some of my favorite times of doing any work is is doing field recording. So, uh, yeah, I mean I've I've recorded weapons. I, you know the the picture you're talking about, I was hitting cars because I was working on Iron Man two video game, and you know we needed a lot of Iron Man hitting robots and stuff and so yeah that was a lot of fun so we went out to an auto dismantler and i got to you know swing a sledgehammer and and you know beat on some cars or you know record you know the car crusher you know crushing a car um yeah i mean really it's it's it's, it's, half of it is experimentation you know you have an idea but when you're on location and you don't know you know what you're going to get or how you're going to get it you know it's it's you know you got to have you know good phones so you can hear what you're recording you know, uh, I don't know if that shot has me headphones or not, but I'm sure we did like a test, you know, run where I was like, okay, what's this going to sound like? You know, in that, in that case, I was using a, um, a Sennheiser shotgun mic that was, you know, very, very tight. You know, we didn't want a lot of, you know, we had, it, it had to have a lot of rejection because there was a lot of stuff, you know, and you had to write code on it because there was lots of wind and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, having good mics, I mean, it's some of what we recorded on those uh, field sessions were contact mics you know, for pounding on things and that kind of stuff. Uh, a lot of it is experimentation. You know, if the more tracks you have, the better that you can, if you can record, you know, I was carrying my, my Pro Tools rig around with me. I had a portable, you know, with the Inbox 2 Pro and, you know, so I could have multiple lines if I needed to. You know, when we did weapons recording, we had so many different perspectives going. Um, we had a variety of machines recording. We had a DAT recorder. We had a Pro Tools rig with the 001, uh, no, 002. And then we had... Um, somebody on a Nagra. I mean, we had a whole wide variety of mics and placements. You know, I think we were recording probably 12 channels at a time on that. You know, it was like, like doing a big you know, drum kit kind of thing. So we would have like close mics and, you know, and distance mics and, and medium, you know, it, you know, especially for game work, you want that kind of, you know, you need to think about what the perspective is going to be, you know, when you're, when you're playing black, much like, when, you know, like a drum kit kind of situation where you got room mics and you've got, you know, close mics and, you know, where do you, where's the sound for that particular song going to be from, right? So 
again, you know, if something's going to be, you know, five to 10 feet away, then you kind of want to record it from that, you know, depending on what mic you're using and, and all that kind of stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I've done Foley inside, you know, doing, doing field recording and, you know, it's okay. You know, you, those are your, your battling elements and stuff. But if you're in a closed studio and, and, you know, you have a variety of mics you can choose from to record Foley, then you can get multiple perspective, perspectives from that as well. And so, you know, it depends on what the perspective of the game is going to be. And we can, you know, you know, cut the cut the content as needed depending on what what or, you know what sounds best and what suits yeah. you best. You know, and a lot of times, you know, like the, with the weapons that we recorded, we ended up supplementing a lot of that stuff with with other elements. You know, whether it's like a an LFE kind of thump, you know, synthesized kind of thing or whatever. But uh, yeah, there's I mean, there's there's a lot of ways you can approach it. But yeah, I mean, it it as with anything recording, experimentation is key. And then you know, once you do find that sweet spot, you know, okay, this is where we're going to do this particular element from, and you kind of yeah. stick with that. Yeah. And I imagine things like phasing and all that kind of stuff. You're still having to factor all of that kind of stuff into it too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you do, but you know, again, if something if something's taking things out, you you know, you remove that element of it or whatever. But yeah, I mean, or you can just you know physically align things or whatever in, in your dot track like you would with you know uh, mic and a DI or whatever. So yeah. And I, and I love, too, that you mentioned that you were in that example on your website where you hit in the car, that it was for Iron Man. And, like, you know, it, that's part of the thing that I love about sound design is that a lot of the sounds that we hear in a video game or that we see in a movie, it's, like, not what you think it is. You right. know, it's, like... Oh, yeah. Oh, like, yeah. I remember hearing that, like, with a lot of people would use, like, they'll break celery for bones and stuff like that. And, like, you know, to get that bone simulation sound. And it's, like, that that's such a cool thing. And, and to oh, me, yeah. like... You know, I imagine that like that's just something you learn over time, like the tricks of the trade or or maybe there's someone's got like some like sort of industry Bible of like, you know, here are the sounds to go to for, you know, for this sound. Yeah, I mean, it all started with, you know, Jack Foley, you know, 100 years ago or whatever, but – but yeah, I mean, there there are th- certain things that you know. Oh, I know this is effective. If I take a wet chamois and I hit it against a you know whatever, that's going to sound like a really impactful hit or whatever. Um, and yeah, again, celery with bones or like corn chips or like to create the sound of snow, you'll take a bunch of cornstarch and I'll, you know. So I did a bunch of cornstarch footsteps for you know that first game I was working on, and, and so you learn little tricks like that, and you know. YouTube is great for stuff like that now because you can go see, you know, oh, you know, there's all kinds of uh, uh, videos from Ben Burt, the guy who was the uh, sound designer on all the Star Wars films and, and the Indiana Jones films. And he is, a, is a, just a, a font of information and things that, you know, one thing I like about him and his, he's, he was been a, you know, obviously I've worked in Star Wars games, you know, he's had a particular influence on me, but he always tried to have an element of organic sound with synthetic sound that gives it that kind of real world weight. And then he would like re-record things to, you know, you know, worldize them is what he called it. So he would run something through a speaker and then record the speaker sound to give it that sound. Like a lot of the, the, the voices for the robots or the, the androids in the Star Wars films were done that way. So you give them kind of like a sense of being within a space rather than just having that synthetic, you know, lack of, of dimension, you know, it, it, instead of just like running something through, you know, a, you know, a plug-in or something, you know, you have that kind of, you know, real world, um, you know, sense of, of actually being something real. And so that was, you know, he was a great, you know, influence on me just listening to, and because I got to use and listen to his content, like in the raw form and put it in our sound library at LucasArts, 
it's interesting to listen to that stuff, you know, like we would get, and like even the, in the, in the voiceover stuff, like, so all the Jawa voices or the Ewok voices, you know, you listen to that stuff. And it's like, wow, you know, that's, you know, it's pitched up or whatever. Or then he would have some mechanism that, you know, when the, when the Millennium Falcon fails to, to you know, he's got this like grind and you know, it's like a, I don't know, some machine where he actually spun a crank and it made all this kind of like whiny gear sounds. And it's like, Oh man, that's really cool. You know? So, you know, yeah, yeah there's definitely, you know, there are, guides you know oh this sounds like this or if you want you know but again it, it comes down to experimenting you know like the, I, I saw a video of a guy using a feather duster to make bird sounds and he was like hitting the feather duster in his hand to make the flapping sounds like oh that's really cool i never would have thought of that i've got a set of, of sound design bird flaps which is a guy flipping a wallet up and down you know i mean it's it's really you know what do you think it should sound like and if the real thing doesn't sound like it was well, like what can i make sound like that I love that. That's it's such a creative field, and I think that's just like, yeah, it's it's not just being an audio engineer at that point. It's it's really being like an artist and and creating these these sounds that are just you know that sound like other things, you know, right, just right, right. outside and, of the box. And that's the way I think about it. To me, it is an art. You know, it's an art form. You know, I, what I do is is not different than somebody using paints or, or colors. You know, it's it's. I use colors. I use different colors. I use sound colors, you know, and this is, you know, oh, this is an element. I think in terms of, you know, in terms of elements and things. Okay. Well, I need it to be this way in the low frequency or I need this to be this way in the mid frequency or, you know, I need this kind of flap or I need this kind of punch or whatever. And, you know, don't get me wrong. You know, it, I create a lot of stuff, but I also use a lot of commercial content too. So a lot of sound ideas, you know, uh, Hollywood edge kind of stuff. I have a lot of those, you know, I've got like three terabytes of, of, content in my personal sound library so you know there's a there's a wide variety of of commercially read content but you know you you mix and match you know you create something synthetic and you put it with something that already exists from you know and it changes that thing into something else and, and you know it really is working and i work a lot with the visual artists you know because what i want i want my aesthetic to match the my sonic aesthetic to match the visuals right and so a lot of it was like okay create a sound, talk to the artist. Is this what you think this sounds like? Or does this, you know, or, you know, I'll get something, I'll make it turn into the game. Somebody will play it and I'll say, yeah, you know, this isn't really working for me. And when I was young in my career, I would get, Oh, but I did this because of that. And it's going to be, and this is why it's the best sound for this. And then I just realized, no, it's not my thing. It's a, it's a collaborative thing. So, you know, it's not, it's, it's not working for him. Okay. I know enough now that I can just make another sound. And, you know, ask them what they like or what they don't like and then create something else that will be more suitable or more to their liking or whatever. So, you know, being able to not be possessive of, of your own, you know, designs that, you know, you're, it's just not worth it. You know, you're good enough. You can create something else, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of an interesting, you know, connection with music, you know, watching the Beatles get back documentary, you know, they weren't precious about anything. And that's, you know, kind of a good you know, it's not where the idea comes from. It's the best idea, you know, and, you know, so it's really kind of in having that mentality of, you know, you can't be married to your, your, to your creations, you know, it's like, it's gotta be, okay, if this doesn't work, let, well, let's find something that does, you know, so being flexible is really, really helpful. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it, it keep you jobs and get you other jobs, you know, being able to, you know, be flexible and be able to, you know, respond on the fly to, Oh, the producer doesn't like the way this sounds. Can we fix it? Yes. Okay. You know? So, yeah, I love that, man. That's great. Now, speaking of like creating realism with sound effects, that kind of segues into where you're at now and with what you're doing with spatial to some degree. And, um, so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, about that, like, 
what is spatial and and why should people know about this? <laughs> Loaded question, I know. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's great. We just had our big coming out at South by Southwest. I was there for about a week and we were, you know, we had a, a great installation set up where people could come experience spatial firsthand. And we were working with a, a variety of partners that would, you know, there was a tent next to us by a company called Meow Wolf and they had all these little art installation islands in this tent. And um, our software was was doing all of the audio for their presentation. So, um, <clears throat> and one of my jobs at the at, at our demo space was, you know, to give people the overview of of what spatial is and how it works. So basically, we have three pieces of software. Um, the foundation is our real time three D audio immersive engines real time uh, and that's called spatial uh, reality and that is usually living on a host machine and we use mac minis for our hosts and that connects to an audio interface which connects to your speakers and so the idea is you can have as many speakers as you want you know or as few as you need more is better of course um, but the idea is is that we're getting away from the sweet spot and the um, idea of a fixed listening position right so it's 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 we're democratizing audio essentially so it's it's more of a a uh, encompassing immersive experience it's like an interactive than, surround sound or something it, like that right it can be interactive sure we have we have uh events triggerable events and we can you know they'll, they'll there's all kinds of ways that we can trigger things and and, and and all that so but the idea is is you measure your speakers in the physical space you input that data in the form of an xyz coordinate system into our into our software that will create a speaker map which will create like um, uh, an Unreal or Unity kind of 3D visual map. And you see that is in our composition software, which is called Spatial Studio. And that's where I do my work. Um, and that is literally, it's, it's, it, it's a 3D map of whatever space you're connected to at the time. Um, so like right here in my office, I'm, I've got like a 15.1 system going right now. So um, I've got four speakers on my floor, four speakers on my ceiling, and then like a 7.1 around me. So, um, and then I, go, I can switch between my Pro Tools and my, my, my spatial rig. So anyway, so I get back to studio. So you get your sounds, your sound files, you import them into the studio app. They become objects and they're converted. Right now we're using uh, an Algopus uh, codec for, for playback. Um, so you get your objects, you put them in, in your scene, and then objects can be either a point source or a sized object. So you can take the object and, and make it as big or as small as you want it to be. Um, and one of the cool things about it is it's a scalable system. So I'm creating in a 10 by 10 space, but you want the playback to be in like a 25 or, you know, 100 by 100, whatever it needs. Everything will scale accordingly because it knows that, you know, based upon whatever, you know, it, comparative data you know like it, my my room was like this but if it scales up it's going to play and when you look at it on the canvas it looks exactly the same um and so it's a really really but if you want something to be not scaled you can disable the scaling so if you got like a motorcycle or something to ride through your your area your space you create a motorcycle sized object you disable the the scaling and it will always be that size regardless of where you are so um so yeah so it's very similar to video games so we're uh, you know like my first focus was creating uh what we call soundscapes which are virtual environments you know we, one of our taglines is transform your space so we you know we are taking indoor spaces and making them sound like outdoors and vice versa uh, or you can take an existing outdoor space and oh yeah you know it's it's somebody's backyard let's turn it into a jungle let's turn it into a forest or whatever and you can, oh here's a jord and then we can change it oh now it's nighttime so instead of having you know birds and whatever you're hearing frogs and you know and predators or whatever running around and, and so 
all of the uh, the objects can be animatable. So we've got uh, a, a motion path system. So you create a path around it, which the you know, or you know, either it can be you know, point to point, or it can be you know, meandering, whatever you want. And you can you can have sounds play and move across the space. Or in some cases, like when I'm doing a virtual environment, I'll say I want a bird, you know, or a type of bird, right? So I'll create a pool of sounds, you know video game kind of production, a pool of sounds to draw from, and then I'll create a motion path. And so this bird group will fly around our space based upon whatever mo motion path. And the motion path can be independent of the sounds themselves. So the motion path can be defined by a, a, you know, a specific length of time, and then it will loop indefinitely. And then that object will move around that motion path and then randomly play based on whatever data I put in. So, okay, between 2 and 25 seconds, it's going to randomly play from one of these pool of bird sounds. And so it will, you know, randomly pick, oh, I'm going to play this one. And, okay, next 10 to 20, or 10, you know, 2 to 25 seconds. And where it is along the path is where it will play back within the space. So, you know, there's really, you know, and then we'll, we can have what we call trigger roll events, and they can be as simple or as complex as you want them to be, you know, because everything is all object based, you can create these complex events that, you know, happen over time or whatever. I mean, there's no limit to how we can, we can manually trigger. We've got an, an app called uh, studio or spatial control, which is on your phone. And that's what you use to populate your space with scenes and, and whatnot. And those scenes are also downloadable if you're working in studio. So you want to see how we do things and maybe you can come up with a way to do things better or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that, that that's essentially it. It's a real-time 3D immersive engine. You know, it's it's like I call it Atmos on steroids because it's really you know it's blowing the lid off of the the fixed listening position and and there's no sweet spot essentially and and it's very you know and the software is free. You can use your soft you know go to spatialink.com, create an account, you download Studio, you can start making scenes today. And, uh, you know, getting set up with, with uh, deployment is, is another thing, you know, and you can all do that through the phone. You know, you can calibrate through your phone. Um, the biggest difference in calibration between, you know, say my Pro Tools rig and my spatial rig. Um, so uh, I kind of follow the Bobcats kind of, you know, you know, 83 per satellite from my listening position. And then, you know, whatever minus, whatever minus six or whatever it is for the subwoofer. Um, same kind of deal. Instead of gearing towards a sweet spot for spatial, what we do is a fixed distance. So I will take, you know, like a, a pointer and, you know, from one foot, I will take a measurement from a speaker. And then whatever our target is, whether it's 86 or 90 or whatever we want it to play back, then we'll, and then we'll do a minus six for the subwoofers off of that. And, you know, it's all location based. So because it's a 3D map, the sounds move across. We have multiple subwoofers set up. So that, you know, if there's something that has a low frequency, it's going to go to the nearest subwoofer. And, you know, we've got bass management, all that kind of stuff. So you can you can assign sounds to be either, you know, uh, default, which sends, you know, full frequency to the subs. Or you can do LF only or you can do no LF. So like these burn sounds, I turn off the low frequency. It doesn't need to go to the subwoofer. But I've got thunder that plays in the same scene and I want all that to go. to You know, so I got elements that just go to the subwoofer and I got other elements that go to the to the satellites as well. So it's really, you know, it's a very fluid system. And it's, it's, you know, especially if you've got some kind of, of video game or, you know, interactive design, you know, one of our goals is to, uh, you know, get into like theme park attractions and that kind of stuff. And we're partnered with a bunch of people, um, you know, but the idea is that, you know, you, you can get in and jump in and start creating scenes pretty easily right away. And, and you know, it, there's a little bit of a learning curve, but if you've, if you've worked in, in, in game software, especially it's, it's pretty intuitive. That's very cool. Yeah. yeah. So, and so just that, to clarify, like this is not 
in any way connected to like Apple's spatial audio. No, that's right? that's something different that came out. I mean, we'd already been in business for a few years by the time that that was announced. So I don't know how long that was in development. We do have uh, people from Apple uh, on our team. Uh, one of our co-founders was at Apple for a while, and, and he was one of the designers of the Apple TV. And our other co-founder was a guy who was at Nest for a little while. And, and uh, so all these guys, you know, they're heavy hitters. They've got, you know, dozens of patents to their names. And, you know, we've got patents already for, for our software and, you know, some pending. So, uh, you know, it's just a really interesting kind of, you know, it, 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 it all spawned from, from our, our primary founder who wanted a theme park experience in his backyard. You know, he was very <laughs> successful and he just, you know, he's a real big Disney and Star Wars nut. And so, you know, the, the first thing was kind of creating these, these virtual, you know, environments in his yard. And then it, which was done, you know, using spreadsheets and stuff. And from that, they decided to make it a company. And now we've got, you know, all this really cool software that I get to play with and, you know, get to tell, tell people about, you know. That's amazing. So then what applications do you see being used for spatial? Like we we have a wide variety of partners already. Um, So like uh, one, one company we're, you know, organization we're hooked up with is national geographic. And so at their museum in Washington, DC right now, they've got uh, an exhibit about Mount Everest. And as you enter the exhibit, there are four large screens, two on either side of you as you walk in. And then our, our sound system is running the sound for that. And that's a video presentation that lasts for about seven minutes and it loops continually all day. And, you know, it's, it's Mount Everest. You're up on the mountain. People are being flown in by helicopter. You see and hear the, the, the helicopters come overhead. Uh, you got Sherpas schlepping gear up and down the mountain. Uh, you know, scientists doing weather, weather checks and ice checks and, and, you know, a big storm comes in and whips the, the tents around and, and, you know, it's a, it's a pretty immersive experience just, you know, coming in there and seeing that. And then you can walk through the other rest part of the exhibit where they actually have artifacts from, from, from some of the excursions there and stuff. But it's, it's, that's one of our partners. Um, we are also partnered with a company out of Georgia called Wellstar. Uh, they are a health and wellness company and they've set up a bunch of recovery and wellness rooms. And so basically the idea is that you go in, you know, one of their staff, they're fatigued from being a nurse or whatever with all this COVID craziness. And they go into this, you know, this relaxing space and sit in a nice comfy, you know, massage chair or whatever. And it's like, I'm going to listen to the beach today and I'm going to listen to it for, you know, for, for 15 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever. Or I'm going to go to the rainy forest or wherever you're going to go. Um, to, you know, just kind of recharge your batteries and that kind of thing. And then there's also some uh, sonic treatments called ABS, uh, Auditory Beat System or something like that. And basically it's like a pulsing kind of, uh, you know, sound, you know, usually at a low frequency, but it's mixed in with, with the nature stuff. And it, you know, can help people with, with uh, issues such as anxiety or depression or, or you know, um, not just a variety of things that you can be treated for, uh, anxiety, uh, Depression. Hmm. What else did I? I'm missing one. Anyway, sleep. sleep yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. You know. But you know, those are, those are more nature centric kind of things. But you know, eventually we'd like to get into things like uh, you know theme parks. Uh, we're working with retail companies so that you know some poor kid working at a mall store has to listen to the same hour of music all day long or whatever. <laughs> Something like this, you can go in. You know, if you're selling shoes, you know, you can be in the middle of the you know, Oakland Arena where the Warriors are playing some. Co- opponent you know and you can hear the basketball players running up and down either side of you and they take a shot and the crowd goes crazy and you're you know you hear the the pa <laughs> above you and the in announcements and the music and everything and you know somebody picks up a shoe because they're interested in buying a shoe the crowd goes crazy and then that then the the employee knows to go over to talk to 
this guy about selling him a shoe or whatever. So yeah. there's there's all kinds of you know applications. Hospitality, you know, you go to a resort, say in Hawaii, the beach isn't right up next to the resort, so you don't hear it in the lobby. But hey, we can create one and put it in the lobby. So as you come yeah. in, you're not just you know listening to people hustling and bustling trying to get to their room. You can actually get in this nice relaxing kind of you know. That's, and then, that's and, super cool. Yeah, yeah. So and then again, like uh, like I said, this uh, you know this art installation thing that we were working with with Meow Wolf. You know, each island uh, their art installation had an ambient element and then the overarching the entire space had some some kind of stuff like that so it's really fluid system and there's you know there's no real limit to the applications we've had all kinds of of you know ideas thrown at us in terms of what we can we can use our our software for that's amazing yeah i could definitely see a lot of uses for it do you think that like it sounds like a lot of this stuff right now is taking something that's maybe pre-recorded and then you know and putting it into this this uh, software and you know that maps it out do you think that it will ever get to the point where it could possibly be integrated with some sort of live thing. Like yeah. you, you mentioning the example of like the shoe store and having the basketball arena around you. Like I was just thinking like, how cool would it be to be watching like some sports on TV and, and like feel like you're at the game and like yes, sitting in a seat, right? Be, like that'd yes. be incredible. It would be. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely. We're, um, well, we can already do live streaming. So, um, like some of our customers are in luxury homes, high-end luxury homes, and so we'll take whatever whatever service they have, Spotify or you know, uh, Sonos or whatever they they connect to for their streaming service of choice, and then we create a scene that will just basically allow for the streaming of, of the of the music that way. So we're going to try and leverage that. That's an AES sixty seven kind of protocol right now, um, and there's some latency involved with that that we're kind of working on trying to to, to reduce. But you know, you know how digital audio works. You know, there needs to be be a buffer and something like that. So getting things to be in a live environment, which was a hot topic, especially at South by Southwest, because bands were coming in. Um, I was lucky enough to create some music scenes for a band called Argonaut and Wasp, who graciously gave us their uh, their stems to work with, and it was a, such a pleasure to create these spatialized versions of these songs, you know, that are funneled through into a stereo pair, and then suddenly you you listen to it in an open environment. It's like, oh my god, this is just a different way to listen to music, and it's the same song, but it just gives you a different presentation format. So, um, yeah, and and it, yeah, ultimately. We've talked about trying to do uh, uh, venues, so we're actually working with some venue partners right now. Uh, we're working with the uh, Chicago Cubs and the and the Boston Red Sox, and there's another team that I'm forgetting. Um, but basically, they want us to install systems in, in their stadiums and, and either have like a virtual stadium environment or you know something else. I'm not sure what it's going to be, but you know there's a lot of really cool you know potential live applications. You know, one of the bands, you know, or one somebody from a band that came in to, to talk to us at South by, they were like, "Oh, it'd be great if we could like you know give everybody a different perspective or whatever." Or you know, if you're sitting there watching the band, you can you know depending on where you're sitting in the venue, you know, depends it will change how you're you're getting the, the mix or whatever. <laughs> you know, and there's also a headphone component we, we're working on as well so it would be more like the the apple spatial audio but uh, right now it's only used for previewing in our studio app and basically what you do is you have a little guy you know a bust of a head and you can move him throughout the space that you're connected to so it's really it's it's replicating the space with the headphones so you can move him around the space and say oh this is what it sounds like over here and you can very cool that way. yeah do you need yeah. to have like because I know with um, with Atmos, obviously, there's like, you know, it's a lot of speakers that are involved in setting this up, right? And yeah. Like you yeah. said, this is scalable. 
do you need consistency between all the speakers? Like, is that ideal? Is it like, can you just throw together any any sort of configuration to make it work? Yeah, we can, yeah, we can use a variety of speakers. So even in our installation, when we were doing our demos, we had three different versions of uh, of speakers that we were running. As long as you have a consistent output, we all tune. We for our big space, we tune those to I think ninety six dB at one foot, right? So every speaker output ninety six dB at one foot away essentially with a minus six. So the, uh, you know, the, the, the subs were at 90. So, um, so that's really what's important with us is, is making sure that you've got that equal output from all speakers, you know, and, and that will give you the best presentation and simulate the space better when you're, you're designing in studio so that, you know, you get expected playback and you can hear it in real time. Cause when you're, you know, you can actually manipulate objects in play in real time as you're moving around the space and, and, you know, Oh, I need it to be more this or less that or whatever. So yeah. that's very cool, man. Jim, I, I, I mean, I could talk your ear off about this stuff all day. It's, I just find it so fascinating, but I, I don't want to take up too much more of your day here. So oh, no, we should probably good, start man. to wrap up, but, but man, like this has just been incredible. And I think this is definitely a, an area that we haven't talked about on the podcast before. So I'm sure people are going to find this super fascinating and right on. And, and uh, yeah, we really, we really want to get people using our software. So please, it's free, you know, try it out. It, it, we are Mac based, you know, so if you're using a PC, sorry, we're not, you know, developing for that. Uh, maybe in the future, I don't know. That's not my call. Uh, I'm a Mac guy already, so it's not that, that big a deal. And again, the, the, uh, it, I mean, the biggest inhibitor about working with Atmos is having to, you know, not, in addition to spending thousands and thousands of dollars on a nice Pro Tools rig, you've got to spend another, you know, 6K or whatever just to have a renderer. Uh, and that's the difference between us and Atmos is, you know, Atmos is a rendered, you know, final product. You know, it's for linear media. It's made for film and, and that kind of thing. Uh, and this is open-ended. There is no rent. The, the, it's a real-time render, so we're not bouncing anything out. This is just a live environment that is actually playing 24/7. And you know, with the use of our control app, you can switch between scenes seamlessly. And you know, or you know, we can create complicated scenes. So, like our demo scene had a bunch of subscenes in it, and then we just triggered events, and, and you know, kind of. And we can tie in with video, and we can tie in with with lighting, so that the lights can change when you change. You know, when you have an event happen, or you know, an image will change on the screen, or whatever. It's very fluid. It's, you know, we've got all kinds of triggers. We can do motion sensor triggers. Uh, we've got one thing where we've got a camera that can actually count the number of people that walk into a space, assign them an ID. And if there's a triggerable zone, you have a trigger, I have a trigger, you walk into that zone, it plays one thing, I walk into the zone, it plays something else. Wow. So it's, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of things that we can do. And again, those are simple, simple events. I mean, that's really just like just playing one song. But again, I, you know, I've created events that could be, you know, as, as long as 20 to 30 seconds, but it's, it would be like, you know, like a, a little vignette of, 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 you know, a little audio play or whatever. It, you know, there's so many things that we can do with this. But the idea is, is that, you know, it's happening in real time and, you know, it's not, it's not a plug-in, it's a standalone thing. And so you, you know, I do a lot of prep work and, you know, I do my pre-production and Pro Tools and then I can, I can, I can run my Pro Tools rig through the exact same speakers that I'm running here. But when I'm putting it in, in, in studio, it's going to, or it's going to be completely different. You know, it's going to be, okay, now it's an object. Now I'm going to place it within the space and then, you know, let the, let the real time magic happen, you know, and it's, it's, it's a lot of fun, you know, and again, I did, uh, three mixes for this band audio, uh, Argonaut and Wasp and, you know, their, their stems were really, really clean. It was a lot of fun to, to just kind of like, I kind of did an outward in kind of thing. So all the drum elements are kind of like on the outer part of the space. And then, you know, lead vocals are like an ear level and then we've got bass on the ground and, you know, 
synthesizers and backing vocals flying around through the air. It's just, you know, so much fun being a horn stabs, you know, oh, they're over here. Now they're over there. The guitar moves around and stuff. It's just, you know, it's, it's opening up music, you know, and as somebody who's been making music for most of my life and, you know, just to get away from the entire, you know, stereo pair or whatever. I mean, don't get me wrong. Headphones, I mean, God, I love I love the Beatles. I love Pink Floyd, you know, listening to the stuff on the headphones. It's great. Now we can take it and put it in a real space. And then, oh, my God, it's a totally different experience. So that's that's amazing. Yeah, I, I, I there's there's so many things that you could apply this to now that I'm thinking about it. And yeah, yeah, I, you could, it really you is. Could, it, you could bring back old artists and have con- like virtual concerts and like do all sorts of stuff. But. I would love nothing more than to get, you know, I mean, there's some illegal, you know, bootlegs of, of you know, <laughs> multi-track transfers that I'm sure a lot of your audience may know about, you know, from bands like Queen and whomever. But uh, yeah, when, you know, to be able to get that content and listen to it spatialized it's transformative it really is you know to have freddie mercury you know right here in my room and you know the pianos are over here or whatever it's it's really fun you know again you know that's not for public use (laughs) 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 but uh but yeah i mean i can take my band stuff or you know my my little cover band that we play yeah festivals around here and i can do that stuff or whatever you know i definitely want to you know it was nice of this band to let us do their you know use their stuff for for our examples and they came to they were actually playing at south by as well and so one of the guys came by and listened to it and he was just blown away he just you know it was it's so different it's just so different and that's the thing it's it's you know, we're 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 blowing the lid off of that fixed system kind of thing. It's it's really cool, really it's incredible. Technology. Yeah, incredible, man. Yeah, I definitely uh, can't wait to check it out myself and hopefully find a space that's that's set up for it. You know? Yeah. Oh, you can do it wherever you are, man. Yeah, and, I guess know, that's again. true. Right? Yeah. And and you know, again, as it, the, the only real inhibitor right now, something we're working on, is the fact that we need a host machine versus a production machine. So, uh, you know, I've got a Mac Mini that's connected to my Tascam, right? We're using Dante, so it's easy to create. You know, you can align your channels however you want. But the important part is to have the measurements of the speakers in the physical space, so that when you have your space map that you work in, you know, it's playing out of the proper you know channel. And we don't think of it in channels; we think of it as as this. 3d space so when an object is over here it's going to play out of these speakers and you know and and we have little tool you know all kinds of tools for um you know we've got this thing called spread where you can like actually take the it's it's kind of like an outer radius when i was talking about the uh the video games uh, the game stuff it's, it's similar to that um that's still kind of in development but again because the, the objects can be sized right so if i got an object and it's over you know two or three speakers then it's automatically attenuated so instead of summing Right, all of those sounds out of you know, it's it's summing to a, a one basically, so that you know, no matter what, if if it's if it's a solo object on one speaker, that's a one, and if it's encompassing three speakers, it will the numbers will you know make it to be just the same one. So it's a very smart system, it's very intuitive, and it's a lot of fun to use. Very cool, man. Uh, man, I'm I'm super like excited about all the stuff we talked about here today. It's just like right on. It, it's, it's exciting stuff. It's fun, and uh, I think it's just something different that we haven't really talked about on the podcast. So, man, thank thank you for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate well, it. Thank you for having me, man. You know, it's always a good pleasure talking to you. You know, we've talked before. We did this, and and you know, it's it, you know, you're a good guy. I like what you're doing, and yeah, you, you helped me too. You know, you gave me some really cool tips. You know, it's like I because I don't work in music. You know, I started out in music, but my professional career has usually been sound effects, and so. So, you know, there's some techniques in music that, that, that I can always, everybody, it's a journey. It's not a, there's, you know, you don't really arrive, you know. And so, you know, I thank you for, for you know, whatever you've helped me with. So thank well, you. Thank you. Anytime, man. If people want to learn more about you, what's the best way for them to do that? 
Um, well, my personal website is jimdiazaudio.com, and that has you know my portfolio, my resume, and stuff. And then to find out about Spatial, it's spatialinc.com, spatial, S-P-A-T-I-A-L-I-N-C.com. And you can, again, create your own account, download Spatial uh, Studio today, and just start creating your content and, and uh, creating your scenes. And again, you can, you can download... Uh, some shared scenes that we have loaded in the app and, and, you know, it's, it's figure out how we're doing things and see what we're doing and see how things work. And and yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Amazing. So that was my conversation with Jim Diaz and that was so fun and so interesting. And I just think it's so cool that, you know, this is an industry that a lot of people don't really know about. And obviously on this podcast, we talk a lot about music production, but there are a lot of other career paths when it comes to audio production. And I think it's worth knowing about them. So I'm so glad that Jim came on here and that he was able to talk about all of the cool stuff that he's done in the video game industry and also all of the cool stuff that he's working on right now with Spatial. And I think that that's going to be a technology that just takes off and takes on a whole new life because there are definitely a lot of possibilities for this immersive audio experience and with some of the things that he was talking about as far as how they plan to use it and make things you know bring into theme parks and stores and stuff like that i think that that's just going to create a really cool environment and i think it's going to make people appreciate audio even further and that's really important so yeah jim if you're listening to this Thanks again for being on. This was amazing. And we'll have to have you back on at some point and talk about all the other cool stuff that you're working on because I know there's a lot on your plate. So I hope that you, the listener, found this interesting and that you found this very helpful. And I know that there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that have been thinking about getting into the video game industry or the sound design industry. And so definitely go back and listen to this episode if you want a little bit more insight into what goes into this industry and how to prepare for it. I think Jim shared some great advice here. And if you enjoyed that episode, definitely make sure to subscribe to the podcast. That way you're notified about all new episodes as they go live each and every Wednesday morning. And we've got lots of other great interviews lined up and lots of other cool topics that we're going to discuss much like this. And I think you're going to really find them very fascinating. So once again, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and also make sure to visit MasterYourMix.com. That is a website where I help out musicians with creating pro sounding mixes from their home studios. And on the website, we've got tons of great resources designed to help make that process of mixing and recording your music super easy. And one resource that you definitely want to check out is called The Mixing Mindset. And that is a book where I break down the step-by-step process for mixing your music from home, covering everything from the tools that you need to know, what to be listening out for, how to dial in settings. That way you have a very clear path of what to do when it comes to your mixes and you're not feeling scatterbrained throughout that process. Instead, you have a very clear focus and this book will help guide you from beginning to end so that you can make mixes that sound as good as your favorite recordings. So once again, that's called The Mixing Mindset and that's available at MasterYourMix.com. And that is it for this episode. Thank you so much for sticking around to the very end. Looking forward to chatting with you in the next one. We'll talk soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Master Your Mix podcast. To have your questions answered, submit your questions to questions at MasterYourMix.com. Please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review. And for more information on how you can improve your mixes, visit MasterYourMix.com. Thank you.